Stay up to watch the final, you know, stuff about New Hampshire. As soon as I got up, got on my phone, found out who won. Uh, Bernie didn't win as big as uh, he had four years ago, but he wasn't. He was going up against more people, than just one person. He was going up just against Hillary four years ago. You know, yesterday he had a had a plethora of other people, and the uh, the typical uh, news. Uh, a narrative was Bernie can't win the national election, so who's the other person that the Democrats are going to pick? I mean, they're doing everything they can to screw Bernie again. I'm just telling you, you know, and I really don't care. I mean, I'm a Trump man through and through, all right? I mean, we got the president standing right here in the studio. We've got his banners flying proudly in the studio. Bottom line is, last night, he got about, uh, I think he got about 80, almost 86% of uh, the votes from the Republicans. Remember, Obama back in 2012 only got 81%. Joining us, Erin Perrine. She's the uh, Principal Deputy Communications Director for Trump 2020. Erin, are you glad it's over? <laughs> Just another step on the road to victory for the Trump campaign. I got gotcha. It was a great night for the president. Yeah, it was. I mean, he did better than what Obama did uh, back in 2012. And the story I pulled today from uh, Monmouth is that most expect Trump now will be reelected. Uh, I know that we don't want to be overconfident on this, but this is a party that the Democrats have that is really splintered right now. That's true. The Democrat Party is fractured, and there's really not a huge groundswell of support for any one candidate. You saw it last night in New Hampshire. Their turnout numbers and what we saw internally from those exit polls of who was there ideologically, we saw that there isn't a huge groundswell of support for people like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. Heck, Joe Biden fled the state before the night was even done. On the president's side, we saw historic turnout numbers for an incumbent, and we see him inching up right around 86% right now, which would put him at the highest ever level for a re-election since Reagan 84. I mean, we saw great numbers on the Republican side and really kind of, you know, a fractured, uh, abysmal Democrat party on the, on the other side. Well, Aaron, I have been predicting that uh, November is going to be Reagan-Mondale 2. Uh, that's, I, I, it's going to, I think, that the president's going to clobber whoever runs out of the Democrat side. Well, we, uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, we're not taking anything for granted. I we're got getting that. out there. And we're, we're engaging, but we do feel very comfortable. I mean, New Hampshire was a state that we lost by less than 3,000 votes. That's a few extra electoral votes to help protect the 16 map and expand upon it. We've got our sights on some other states as well, New Mexico, Minnesota, Colorado states where we see we have a chance to play in to expand the president's margins to make sure that we win again in a landslide victory. 
In Iowa, what we saw was about 10% of the caucus goers, a little more than 10%, were either new party registrants same day in Iowa or had not voted previously. That's the kind of stuff that shows when we engage and we put our ground game out there, we're going to have a nice night in November 3rd, 2020. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the blue wall that the uh, Democrats had erected and that the president was able to chip away and effectively knock down uh, four years ago. How are things looking in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, in that area? Are we are we still looking at it as well as I had heard we looked a month ago? We are. We do feel good about where we are in those states. Obviously, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania all have booming economies thanks to President Trump. Uh, Wisconsin is probably one of the states that is doing best. Uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania are right there with it, though, and we feel like we are able to reach the voters and engage. When we were just in Wisconsin last month in January in Milwaukee, we saw that registrants for that rally, about 58 percent of them, were, were did not identify as Republicans. So we are not only expanding the map for the president in terms of where we were in 2016 and what states we won, but we're bringing new voters into the fold as well. Yeah, I mean, when the president has his rallies, there's a lot of Democrats showing up for those rallies. There is. Generally, we see about 25 percent of registrants are Democrats. And just the other night in New Hampshire, we saw that 17 percent of the registrants for President Trump's rally had not voted before. Those are new voters. Those are bringing new people into the fold for the president. And that's the kind of groundwork that can help us win. We see that on average about if you come to a rally, there's a 94 percent chance you're going to show up on Election Day for us. So we're going to be out there doing these rallies, getting that data and staying in touch with voters all the way to victory. All right. Let's talk about the Democrats for a few more moments, because I know that you got to be out of here at 20 after and I'll make sure you do that. But here's my question. The Democrats have been saying that they should have intense excitement for their uh, primaries. That hasn't appeared yet, has it? No, there is no intense excitement on the Democrat side. Uh, It's really, like you mentioned, a fractured party. If they keep going the way they are right now, they will walk into Milwaukee for their national nominating convention and have a contested convention. In July, they will still be fighting over who will get the chance to go up against President Trump. And that means that they're going to that what should be a four day party for the Democrats will be a bloodbath of them trying to duke it out to see who gets to lose to President Trump in November. I'm going to tell you what, if they don't give, you know, Bernie uh, a, a, a chance, at least they, if if the Bernie Sanders people feel they've been screwed, you know, Wisconsin's not that far from Chicago. And we do remember, well, you probably don't. I do remember 1968 in Chicago and how crazy that was. We could see a repeat in Wisconsin. It's true. I mean, the, the Democrat, if, if the Democrat Party puts its hand on the scale and chips it in one favor against Bernie Sanders, which they have admitted they already did in 16, he will be very upset, and so will his supporters. And Bernie Sanders has done something that no other Democrat has done. He's engaged the state parties in a way to change their rules so that it's fairer for Mm -hmm. him to get a chance to make it to Milwaukee. He's trying to be out there to win and be competitive, even if the national party doesn't like him. So what do you think? I mean, Biden... Biden just looks like 
I mean, he ran from New Hampshire. He ran to South Carolina. He really thinks that he's going to to do well in South Carolina. The problem is all of those black votes that he's depending on, he's lost about 50% of their support. It's true. Joe Biden is struggling. And as we said, he fled North uh, New Hampshire last night for South Carolina. He's skipping Nevada entirely to try and hold the wall to see if he can make it past South Carolina. Remember, when he walked in, he was the anointed one. But as, it, as he's gone on, as he forgets where he is, as he doesn't know what day it is, who's the president or what has happened, he, he makes all of these big mistakes all of the time. Voters are taking a second look at him, and they should. And when it comes to the black community, they've never been stronger than they are under President Trump. We see historically high levels of support in the black community for President Trump. That's one that we are engaging with. We have our Black Voices Coalition. We are out there every day talking to black voters about the success under President Trump. Unlike Joe Biden with the 94 crime bill, he's got a terrible record to run on and he's a terrible candidate. I just don't know how he makes it through South Carolina. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. I don't see how Warren makes it through South Carolina. I don't even know why she's going to South Carolina, to be honest with you. Yeah, she last night gave that speech, which was not really a concession speech, but certainly not a victory speech. She came in a very low fourth place last night, and she, again, doesn't have the support. Voters don't like being lied to, and she has a rampant history of mistruths and absolute lies and falsehoods that the American people just don't like, and it's clear Democrat voters don't like it either. I just don't see – I mean, it's clear that we are getting to the point where their field will narrow, but it's still going to be competitive, I think, all the way to Milwaukee in July. All right, last question for you. Bloomberg, he's like, he's like uh, you know, candidate X. We don't know what to expect from him. What are you all expecting? Well, it's clear that Mr. Bloomberg has a lot of issues that are coming up. We saw just yesterday where a video surfaced audio of him saying that uh, you put – cops into minority neighborhoods because that's where all the crime is and that if you want to get uh, weapons out of the hands of kids you throw them against the wall uh he was degrading and the way he talks about minority communities certainly will not work in america and it's certainly not the path to the presidency and i think we're just getting the first taste of of what michael bloomberg has said remember he said uh Xi Jinping in uh, China is not a dictator, even though the man is not elected. I mean, he has (laughs) a very hard grasp of the facts. And so it's going to be um, we're not super we're not concerned really on the campaign because it's pretty clear that he's got a tough road ahead of him as everything surfaces about what he actually thinks. And I'm worried that if he really gets some traction, that my my uh, sonic 44 ounce, uh, you know, Route 44 (laughs) cherry limeade will be taken from me. Well, he'll try to take your limeade and your straws, but you know what? President Trump will make sure he can keep it all because he cares that America gets to choose and that the government's not a dictatorship. Well, he's firmly got me in his camp. We appreciate your time, Aaron. Thanks so much. And uh, we're, are you heading to Nevada or to uh, South Carolina? Uh, I'm actually going to New York today, and then oh. I will probably be out in Arizona and Colorado and then Nevada. So we are all over the map, Team Trump. We're, we're running hard. All right. Have a great day, and uh, we'll talk to you in the very near future. Thank you very much. All right, Aaron Perrin, who is uh, the uh, deputy 
uh, communications director for the Trump 2020 campaign. Great information from her. Again, uh, the president, about 40 or about 86 percent of uh, Republican voters who came out to the polls to throw their ballots yesterday at New Hampshire. He uh, gained 86 percent. Remember, Obama only did about 81 percent back in 2012. And as uh, Aaron pointed out, Trump, that is a historic number. That's a huge number. That is a lot of people that are fired up for this president. And I'm going to tell you, the reason they're fired up, Democrats have done this to themselves. That whole impeachment thing, and now you got Nadler talking about, well, we might go after him again. You know, go after another bite of the apple. They got to be, they got to be crazy. We'll be talking to uh, Congressman Hill later on in the show. He's coming up at seven o'clock. Uh, we'll talk to him about that as well. They want to make sure they lose. Just keep that kind of stuff up. I'm just telling you, just keep that up. 19 minutes after six, it is 39 degrees. I'm Dave Ellswick. I'll give you the five takeaways from the New Hampshire primary when we return. But right now, here's your first traffic. All right, before we get back to talking about New Hampshire, because you're going to hear that a lot about it today, you know, the the narrative on news media, no matter what channel you watch, will be, yeah, Sanders won, but Klobuchar, look out. Now, she got a bump. She's going to fade. I'm just telling you right now. She's going to fade. Uh, Buttigieg and Sanders look like they're going to be the two that have to fight this one out. That's kind of... The way it's looking, Bloomberg, uh, that 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 sound that came out yesterday about uh, what he said back in I think it was 2015, and uh, you know he says, "Well, I've apologized for that. Let's move on." No, 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 no. People, people had no idea what he was saying uh, to people. I mean, that was pretty rough, to be honest with you. You start talking about, you know, uh, all crime is black crime. It's literally what he said. If you were 20 or 18 to, what, 34 and a, and a male and you were black, you were to be considered a criminal. You were to be considered a, a criminal. And, you know, we got to stop uh, going out there and even looking at white people. I mean, he basically said that, you know, don't be looking at white people, be looking at black people. We'll put all of our resources in black neighborhoods. Um, and you know what? He may have been feeling that he was going to be doing something good, but how he said it was not good at all. Um, I, I was, I flipped over on Hannity last night. I was going through all of the news channels. The only one I can't watch is Maddow. I just cannot watch her. She, you know, she's got Alzheimer's at what forty-two or something. She's that lady's crazy. She really is. She's nuts. But anyway, I was walking. I was watching Hannity, and he and I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, the guy who was, uh, I think, a Navy SEAL. I can't uh, remember what his name is. And uh, Geraldo were talking about it. And, you know, Geraldo was all over the, the hypocrisy thing. Here you got a guy that's out saying, you know, 
uh, I need uh, the black vote and stuff, and here's what you're thinking and here's what you're saying. Uh, they just don't add up. So I'm going to tell you, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting in South Carolina because here's what I'm seeing. I'm not seeing the traditional black African-American coalition policing around any of these candidates. You know, I mean, they, it, it, it's not, they can't do now what they did when Barack was running, when uh, President Obama ran. I mean, he, he had, you know, the black vote, no doubt, you know, 90% of it. They're not showing that. I mean, uh, Biden heading out of New Hampshire yesterday, even before the polls closed, he knew he was going to get whacked. And and he got shellacked, not just whacked. He got shellacked. I mean, what six percent? Woo! That's terrible. And he went in saying, "Yeah, we're going to win New Hampshire. We're going to be competitive. Not even, not even close. Not even close to being competitive." And uh, so he goes to South Carolina, where fifty-two percent of black voters have been saying that they supported him. You know what it is now, uh, Zach. Yesterday, 24%. 24%. Now, where are those black voters going to? Well, Mayor Pete, some went there, some went to uh, Klobuchar. None went to Warren, from what you can tell. Uh, and some went to Bloomberg. I mean, it's like we were talking, Aaron and I. This is. The Democrats are really fractured. I mean, hugely fractured. You've got you've got uh, Sanders, who is an avowed socialist. In fact, uh, a communist. To be honest with you, if you really listen to what he says and what he believes, you've got uh, Mayor Pete, who's saying, "Hey, I'm I'm the guy in the middle." Until you start looking at what he thinks about the issues, and he's pretty doggone close to being as radical as Sanders is, except on uh, health care. And he's not as uh, radical as uh, Sanders on that. Uh, Klobuchar is, you know, getting away right now by giving her kind of a pass. But when they really start, now that she's a, a verifiable front runner, people want to turn more attention to him. And after what Johnson said to us, Congressman Johnson, Mark Johnson from Louisiana, who was on yesterday with us, said, nobody's talking about how she gets along with no one on her staff and throws stuff at people. And she's talking about President Trump throwing temper tantrums. She does it all the time. That's not come out yet. It's going to come out. Somebody's going to start talking about that uh, as she talks about the president. I'm just telling you, it's coming. Be, be watching for that. So uh, the Democrats are in uh, a tough place. All right, real quickly, let me tell you what's, what happened this day in history. I'll do that real quick before we get to the news. I got about 30 seconds. On this day in 1809, Abraham Lincoln was born in Hardin County, Kentucky. On this day in 1914, the groundbreaking took place for the Lincoln Memorial. 
1973, Operation Homecoming begins, where we're getting the release of American Vietnam POWs. And in 1999, Bill Clinton was acquitted of impeachment charges. So that was this day in history. I'll be back with you. I'll give you those uh, takeaways from New Hampshire. All right, 25 minutes until uh, 7 o'clock. Don't forget, at uh, 7.06-ish, after the news, uh, we'll be talking to Congressman French Hill and talk to him about what happened in New Hampshire and try to break it down for you a little bit more. And uh, we'll have a few other things to talk about. We'll talk about the impeachment. It's over with now. But I want to talk to him about Nadler from the Judiciary Committee who has been talking about, well, we'll just, you know, bring more charges against the president. You know, take another, quote, bite at the apple. Seems like to me that first bite should have been enough to put, you know, because they they bit into a worm. Uh, So we'll have to see if they really are stupid enough to, you know, continue this because all, all they're doing is revving up the people who support the president or are thinking about voting for the president. And they're saying, we don't like it. And the turnout is much bigger than what it is for the Democrats. Turnout is where it's at, folks. Turn out your voters. Uh, that's the way you end up putting a lot of people uh, <laughs> in other seats. They may get people so riled up they end up losing the House. Wouldn't bother me. I'd love to see it happen. Have the House, the Senate, and have the presidency again. Uh, and we were talking about uh, the Democratic Party being fragmented, and a lot of people are saying, well, you know what's going to happen uh, because you got, you know, Buttigieg and you got Klobuchar and uh, you got these people out there and even Bloomberg out there looming as he's going around, you know, he's kind of like the shadow, you know. And he's doing his thing and spending millions of dollars trying to buy uh, the presidency. They're saying, well, what's going to happen is these people that are, quote, the centrists, and I use that term lightly, those folks are not centrists. It's not like they're uh, close to the center, uh, you know, Democrats. They're not blue dogs by any stretch of the imagination. They are very, very, I won't say rabbit, but I will say they are very, uh, very strongly in the leftist field. You know, I mean, look, uh, Buttigieg over the weekend said we should uh, uh, decriminalize all drugs. You know, he made that statement. And he started talking about, you know, heroin, stuff like that. I mean, he was talking to Chris Wallace. Just go and, and uh, get on Google and or go to YouTube and uh, and and just uh, Google, you know, not Google it, but look for it. Chris Wallace and uh, Buttigieg on legalizing drugs, and you can watch the whole segment. It's kind of chilling, to be honest with you. Uh, anyway, a lot of people. Here's what they're saying. Now, see if this doesn't sound doesn't sound uh, um, similar to 2016. Remember, we had all those different candidates running, and uh, everybody kept saying that. Trump wasn't going to win the um, the nomination because as these people who were more maybe centrist uh, right 
to the right. As they got knocked off, those people wouldn't go to Trump. They'd end up going to like Cruz or whomever uh, who were more to the right. And what happened was that, yes, a percentage of those people went to people who were more conservative. However, something that nobody thought about and what ended up playing out was a lot of those people went to the Trump campaign and voted for Trump. And so that this is what we're hearing now about Sanders. Well, the Democrats don't want a socialist at the head of their ticket. So as these people get knocked off, you know, Yang and Bennett went out yesterday. Uh, And Warren is probably on her way out. And if Biden goes out, well, all of their votes is what they will say are going to end up in Buttigieg and in Klobuchar's camps. Don't bet on it. I'm just telling you, don't bet on it. You know, a sizable group of those people may see that Bernie Sanders has uh, a, a legitimate highway to get elected and get the nomination, and so they're going to throw their votes towards him. It's going to be really close. I, you know, at this time in 2016, we were talking, if you remember, we were talking a brokered Republican convention. Does everybody remember that? And then all of a sudden it all came together and the president got the nomination. Now we're at the situation where they're saying the exact same thing. And I've talked to several people uh, about this. And in fact, Aaron Perrine, who we talked to right after the news at six o'clock, even mentioned it, a brokered convention kind of looks like it might happen. It hasn't happened very often, uh, at least since media has really taken over uh, the conventions. I don't think it's going to be that way. I think this is going to swing either towards Bernie or somebody else. And it wouldn't surprise me if Sanders doesn't win it. For everybody who thinks he can't, let me just let me just say two names to you. McGovern, all right, say McGovern, that's early 70s, and then late 80s, Mondale, all right? Remember when Mondale ran to try to give him a better chance against Reagan, they put uh, Geraldine Ferraro on the ticket and ran the first woman, serious candidate, uh, as his vice presidential candidate, it would not surprise me. I'm going to, I'm going to have to get me a Sultan's hat and a crystal ball that I can put out here, uh, Zach, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking through the clouds in the, in the crystal ball would not surprise me as we move along. If Sanders gains some more momentum, I think he's going to do well in Nevada and that's next week, if I'm not mistaken. 20 seconds, something like that. Uh, if that happens, if he if he gets the, the you know numbers out of that and then comes back and is competitive in South Carolina, might not be looking too far into the future to say somebody like 
uh, Amy Klobuchar gets picked up as a VP. Now, right now, Klobuchar is saying, I'm in this race. Now, she's not thinking at all about being a VP. She's thinking about being the nominee. But it wouldn't, I don't think she's going to be able to do it. And it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a fun uh, election this year. But more on the, the Democrat side than on the Republican side. It's a foregone conclusion what's going to be happening there with the president. All right, so... Sanders has turned out the most voters in both Iowa and New Hampshire. He's going to be the favorite heading into Nevada, which uh, probably will be a very challenging uh, state for both Buttigieg and uh, Klobuchar. Um, Sanders has narrowly lost a delegate's edge to uh, Mayor Pete in Iowa. Didn't post a resounding win in New Hampshire, but the reason he didn't is it's hard to get a resounding win when you got as many candidates out there, just to pull away and, and take it all away is just, it's very, very uh, tough. So what are some things we can take away from? Well, debates matter. The reason that Klobuchar picked up uh, as many votes as he did and uh, picked up a lot of momentum uh, going into last night was because of the debate last week on Friday night. She did very, very well. I mean, she didn't do great in Iowa, but she did good in that debate, and it gave her, you know, a shot of adrenaline, so uh, to, to speak. National Democrats uh, rewarded her with a flood of donations after the debate, and Granite State voters sent her a surprise third-place finish. So let's see what else she can do. Uh, the centrists are cannibalizing one another, same way the conservatives did four years ago. Biden and Warren had terrible, terrible nights. I mean, as bad as it was for Biden, it was, I think, worse for Warren. You know, what was it uh, she was finding? She was below 10%. And she sure didn't sound like somebody who had a road to victory when she spoke to the crowd. You know, she sounded like maybe, can I be somebody's vice president? Um but she's seen her support crumble in recent weeks. Uh, Biden, a fourth-place finish in Iowa, fifth-place finish in New Hampshire. It damages his case that, you know, he's the anointed one. Remember we talked about this, Zach. All these people were saying that Biden was the one. He was the golden boy. He was just going to go in and just slide right into the nomination. That's why I keep referring to him as the uh, – Jeb Bush of 2016, because that's the way everybody looked at Jeb Bush going into the uh, the Republican uh, for the Republican nomination back in 16. Everybody thought that he, it was his time. It was his time. His brother had gotten in before him, served two terms. His dad had served two, as a one-term president. Now it was time for Jeb, and Jeb never. I mean. There's an old movie out that you should watch, Matthew McConaughey's Failure to Launch. Well, that's what his campaign should have been called because it didn't launch. It didn't get going. didn't happen at all. Uh, they're going to have a drawn-out primary uh, for the Democrats, which means they're going to have to spend resources on their own campaigns, and the DNC is not going to get that money. And uh, 
it can be a long and very bumpy ride for the Democrat uh, uh, Party. And remember that I said this, that if they get to their uh, national convention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the Sanders people think that they're getting screwed out of the nomination, that the DNC, because they don't, DNC doesn't believe that Sanders can win the election. And beyond all things, they want to make sure that uh, they win the election, but they don't think a socialist can win it. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I believe the same thing, but uh, here's the crazy stuff about all of this is that uh, his people that support him are rabid. I mean, rabid. And you could see 1968 erupt in the streets of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, like they did back in Chicago in 1968 when the anti-war movement was, was going on. Antifa will probably be there in force. I'm just telling you, could get real, real ugly. All right, we got one more segment coming up for this hour. It's uh, about 12 minutes before 7 o'clock, 39 degrees. It's going to rain today. It's going to rain tonight. Uh, They're saying now for Thursday we're going to get some sun with a high near 44. And then uh, Friday sunny with a high near 40. It's going to get chillier. It's not going to get warmer. Uh, The weekend is looking sunny with a high near 55 on Saturday. And then Saturday night, you got a 20% chance of some showers. So the sun supposedly will be back tomorrow. I'll believe it when I see it. All right, traffic, let's get to it. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, the answer, the home of Rush Limbaugh. All right, we're into the final segment of our first hour. It's uh, eight minutes till 7 o'clock, 39 degrees. And so if you're getting up, getting ready, get out of the house, heading to work, you get time. You got an hour. A lot of you don't have to be there until eight o'clock. Uh, if you're wondering what happened last night in New Hampshire, Sanders won it for the Democrats, just barely edging out uh, Mayor Pete uh, by almost two percent points. And then uh, Klobuchar was in third in a strong showing. Uh, fourth was Warren. Fifth was Biden, which does not bode well for him uh, in in this race. And looks like uh, this may be three strikes you're out for Biden. This is the third time he's run for the nomination. Some uh, numbers on the GOP primary that are very interesting because uh, they're watching to see, of course, who's going to be the challenger from Democratic Party. But there's some other things that uh, pollsters and analysts and, you know, wonks like myself look at besides just who's winning. We want to know, you know, how many people turned out to vote and things of that nature, because that tells you how excited people are uh, about uh, the race. So you want to know who's more energized. Is it the Democrats or is it the Republicans? And if you went by the uh, narrative that you keep hearing from the national media, 
what you would expect to find is that the Democrats are hugely energized about this. Uh, Not so much. Not the case. Let's look at uh, Ronald Reagan back in 1984. Got 86.4% Republican votes uh, during uh, the, the primary. Bill Clinton in 1996 got 84.4%. And uh, Barack Obama back in 2012 got 80.8%. Now, that means a lot of people on the Democrat side in 96 and 2012 were energized about going to the polls. But you you got you to gotta look at some of the other stuff, too. How many votes were cast for the candidate. Well, if you go back to Reagan in New Hampshire, all right, now that's going back to 1984 where he got 86.4%. A total of, let's see, let's take a look at this. Back, uh, he, he, he pulled in just about, uh, he pulled in 65,000 votes total. Uh, Barack Obama only pulled in 49,080. George Bush, 52,962. And Bill Clinton, 76,797. That's not bad. That's pretty good. So with 84% of the vote in, not even, you know, not even into the 90 percentile yet when this article was written, Trump had, you ready for this? 114,466 votes. You think the Republicans are a tad bit energized? They're really energized. And I tell you, the Democrats have nobody to blame but themselves. They've energized the Republicans. They really have. So the GOP is looking to be pretty darn energized and uh, re-election is looking pretty doggone good. I've been telling you this for months. Uh, Zach, even te- he'll tell you. I've been saying, you know, Trump was going to get re-elected. was no, no surprise to me. Just be no surprise to me at all. And uh, just looking at those numbers are huge. I mean, truly are uh, huge. So uh, keep that uh, in mind as, as we, uh, we move forward. That's the kind of numbers I'm looking at all the time. I'm I'm keeping my eye on all of that. And then uh, with about a minute and a half that I got left here, a good article from the uh, the folks over at the National Review about Klobuchar uh, says Democratic elites see her becoming a candidate with a realistic shot, not to Minnesota senator actually becoming a candidate with a realistic shot, saying that, yeah, she might. The theory that justifies the bid of most long shot candidates is that almost everyone is underestimating just how many supporters they have, and they'll have one surprise win, which will get more people to reconsider their options and fuel the next surprise win, which will have a domino effect through the primaries. This happens, it just doesn't happen often, and each time a campaign fails to get that initial Surprise when the uphill climb ahead gets a little steeper. Think about this. Klobuchar hasn't won anything yet. She hasn't won anything. 
She's looked good, but she hasn't won anything. Right before Christmas, th- there was this political headline. The surge is real. Klobuchar makes late push in Iowa. You know when? Made a, made a push. To the extent that you can feel confident in the announced Iowa results, Klobuchar won 12.3% or so of the votes in the first round, and that's nothing to sneeze at, but that's nothing to run the flag up the flagpole and say, we won because she didn't. And it ain't about running good. It's like my dad used to tell me. I'd say, well, Dad, I finished second. He says, yeah, you're a first loser. That's what my father always told me. Second was first loser. All right. Same thing for Klobuchar. Finished third, you're second loser. What can I tell you? All right. Let's take a break. News is next. To the uh, second hour of a Wednesday show, hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day. We're now closer to Friday than we were on Monday. Uh, it's 39 degrees, six minutes after seven. And uh, rain today, tonight, we fall to about 20% chance of uh, rain showers. Uh, tomorrow, mostly sunny. Friday, sunny. Saturday, sunny. And by the time we get to the weekend on the uh, the 15th, which is my birthday, by the way. It will be sunny, of course, because that's the day I was born on. And the uh, high temperature will be 55 degrees. For your uh, Valentine's Day, by the way, on, on Friday, it'd be sunny, but a high of only 40 degrees. So it's going to be a little bit uh, nippy out there and going to have a low about 28 degrees on Friday night. So keep that in mind. Let's head up to uh, Washington, D.C. Joining us is Congressman French Hill. He does this every Wednesday here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's always a pleasure to have him on. Congressman, how are you? Good morning, Dave. Uh, you stayed, didn't stay up too late last night, I hope. Yeah, I stayed up to 10 o'clock, and I'm, I paid for it when I had to get out of bed. Uh, but I, I feel good now, so I'm, I'm doing fine. But uh, let's talk about last night in New Hampshire, and I don't want to talk about the Democrats. So Bernie Bernie won, but uh, Mayor Pete was close behind him. Klobuchar's in the 20 percentile, and as we knew, Biden ain't going to get the nomination. Uh, he, he, he lost uh, significantly last night. He's going to South Carolina to try to save himself. But let's talk about President Trump, because you know as well as I know the enthusiasm of the electorate is very, very important. And back in 1984, President Reagan pulled in about 84% of the Republican vote and then went on to victory against Walter M- M- Mondale. 
Uh, President Trump, uh, with about 92% in when I looked at this, had 85.5%, and now I understand he's at 86%. But the big, big one is how many votes he got. Uh, Congressman, check this out. Barack Obama, back in 2012, got 49,080 votes. George Bush got, uh, a few years before that, got 52,962 Ronald Reagan, 65,033 and 84. Bill Clinton, 76,797. Now, those last two, those were pretty significant. But let's listen to what President Trump did. 114,466. Oh, my gosh. That's huge. I think I think he's over 120,000 now wow. as of this morning. It's uh, huge, uh, and I guess he would like us to say that word, huge. <laughs> but um, that's a big, big uh, turnout for Trump voters for an incumbent president for a second term. You showed the math. But also, the I thought the numbers were depressed over on the Democratic side. If you looked at Bernie's yes. performance against Hillary, for example, back when it was a two-person race, Last time. So the Republican enthusiasm is high. The Democrats are split, and they've now nominated out of of uh, New Hampshire a Democratic Socialist. Mm-hmm. So they're a fractured party. I had Aaron Perrin on today, who's one of the spokesmen for the Trump party. And uh, this is a fractured party badly. You got all these people who don't want Sanders to be the nominee. Uh, and so you got you know, Mayor Pete, and you get Klobuchar, who are down there with uh, about, uh, I guess, what, 46-ish percentile mm-hmm. when you add them together. And everybody's saying, see, now when one of them drop out, they'll pick up all the votes of the other. Do you remember four years ago people saying just the exact same thing, that when these other people would fall out, they would coalesce around the, the conservative Republican, and that's not what happened? People ended up in Trump's campaign? Exactly. I mean, I really think you're seeing, you know, just two sides of the same coin. I think Bernie has uh, passionate supporters. President Trump yesterday said, uh, you know, he thinks he'd rather run against Bloomberg because he doesn't have any followers if he buys his followers because Bernie's the one with the passion. Uh, Of course, it just stuns me that the American people uh, in these numbers are supporting people who are for government take over higher taxes, single-payer health care, uh, ending our energy independence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's surprising. Yeah, well, it's beyond surprising. It, it's just, uh, and the polls are, clearly we've failed in our education system, and we have a lot of work to do. And I think President Trump looks forward to that contrast between a market-based capitalism and strong national defense and jobs and rising wages and lower taxes. Uh, I think he looks forward to that contrast. And it allows him to talk about his vision for how to <clears throat> preserve a competitive health care system with lower prices and more competition and preserving all the things that are important to Americans, which I think is access, uh, pre-existing conditions, and lower prices. That's what everybody's talking about. And yeah. There are ways to do that, but you have to have a mandate to do it. You have to have bipartisan support for it because we we can't get those sorts of 
major changes through Congress on just Republican votes. All right, so I know that you, being in the House, are keeping your eyes on this. Is is there still a chance, or and maybe it's even better than a chance, that Republicans can take the House back? I think if we have a the kind of voter enthusiasm you saw last night for uh, Donald Trump in New, New Hampshire, and you have this stark contrast between moving the country forward uh, and moving to Swedish socialism, I think we'll reelect the president and I think we'll take the House back. And I think I say that based on looking at the 51 major swing districts in the House, 31 of them are in districts where Donald Trump won significantly, and the Democrat who won that congressional district won by less than 1% of the vote. Just a few thousand votes uh, separate us taking the House back from it being maintained by Nancy Pelosi. Well, I got to ask this question because maybe you can explain it to me. Nadler has been making, he's been rattling his saber that they want to take another bite out of impeachment. And I'm I'm sitting there listening to this guy talk, and I said, haven't you learned your lesson yet? Is is he really serious, do you believe? I do. I think, I think these committees are planning oversight hearings and continue to uh, head down that road. Uh, just it's It's just what their DNA says they do. They're not proposing any policies that are bipartisan that help move the country forward when it comes to health reform or immigration reform, two of the biggest, most important and complicated subjects before us. They have not, they're not moving bipartisan solutions there. And it's just every week a messaging bill, a political partisan messaging bill that they hope their candidates can go run on in a Democratic primary. That's what it feels like to me every week uh, that I've been here for the past uh, year and uh, a month. Now, I've been listening to the the talking heads talk about, well, you know, the voters coming to the polls. Everybody says the number one issue on their mind is health care. And the uh, the Republicans haven't done anything about health care. And I and I think to myself, well, you know, when the other party won't sit down and work with you, it's hard to get anything done uh, concerning yeah. health care. We we voted for during the Republican majority, we voted for many proposals to lower drug prices, to preserve pre-existing conditions, to increase competition, to break the insurance companies' monopoly pricing in the states, uh, to let small businesses form their own insurance cooperatives to lower prices. But we don't ever get any Democratic support, and we have you know, a mixed bag of support in the Senate, and the Senate obviously has to have 60 votes, six zero votes, in order to move a health care reform out. So that makes it more challenging. But the president has talked talks about this almost every week. Uh, we did get surprise billing through, which I thought was great. Uh, you cannot be in the hospital, uh, have a uh, come out of the hospital, and suddenly they had your surgeon be out of network and hit you with a surprise bill that wasn't disclosed and planned for. That's good. Uh, we have a bipartisan drug pricing bill that the Democrats just sidetracked. They wouldn't vote on it. Uh, we had to we had to propose it as an amendment to their price fixing bill. And um, 
So, look, this is why the president, if, if you said, what is the next term of President Trump look like? What will he try to do? I think he'll continue to make progress on trade. He'll continue to have a regulatory and tax environment that promotes economic growth. Uh, he will work, I hope, to reform uh, all the long-term mandatory programs out in the future so that we have a more sustainable budget. And I hope he will lead an effort to get bipartisan solutions to part of the broken immigration system and the most frustrating thing of all, the cost of American health care. Let's take a break, uh, Congressman. When we come back, I want to talk about these uh, visitors that you hosted here recently here in uh, Arkansas from the U.K. and dealing with religious freedom. Kind of be interesting to talk to you about that. We've got that battle going on here in the United States, and I'm sure they've got that battle going on in Europe. We'll talk about it when we return. Congressman French Hill is our guest here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer, 39 degrees, got 17 minutes after 7, and this is the home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. Spend French Hill and Congressman National Prayer Breakfast was last week. You had some special guests with you. Tell us about that. Well, every year, uh, people from over 140 countries come to Washington for the National Prayer Breakfast. It's been going on since the Eisenhower administration. It's a tremendous opportunity to bring people together on the topic of uh, believing in God and sharing that around the world. And I had my guest last uh, week was Raymond Chisty, who's a member of Parliament. He represents Kent down at the mouth of the Thames in England. And he is Boris Johnson's special envoy for religious tolerance or or belief, which is the same job that former Senator Sam Brownback has for the United States. So he represents the U.K. on promoting religious tolerance. Obviously, the United Kingdom and the United States work on that a great deal together. President Reagan said that, uh, you know, religious freedom was not social work. It is a fundamental tenet of Americans' foreign policy, and Mm -hmm. I certainly believe that, and Raymond does too, and it was a pleasure to have him here in the U.S. Now, I didn't know that you were on a special uh, caucus dealing with Middle Eastern uh, uh, issues going on with religious freedom. Is that correct? Well, yes. The most persecuted religion in the world now are Christians, and I know that surprises a lot of people, but it's uh, it's a fact. And one of the largest populations of Christians that are persecuted are in Egypt. It's the Coptic Christians. So the Coptic Church was founded by St. Mark uh, there at the Nile Delta in Alexandria during the Evangelist period. And uh, it's about 15% of Egypt's population. Egypt's getting ready to approach 100 million people in the country of Egypt. So the United States gives these, Egypt about a billion dollars a year for defense assistance uh, for their partnership with America in fighting terrorism and maintaining some semblance of stability in the Middle East. And so in that, we have to certify every year that they are a good human rights partner also with the United States. And that's where my resolution, the House that has 70 co-sponsors, calls on uh, President el-Sisi to make sure that Coptic Christians in Egypt are treated with tolerance and equality uh, in their country. We've only got a few moments left. I I wanted to ask you if you were aware of this new piece of uh, immigration bills that the, 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 the Democrats put out uh, called the, A New Way Forward or whatever, and there's several uh, Democrats that are on this. Uh, AOC is 
seems to be one of the big people pushing this Garcia of Illinois. And uh, it is one of the most uh, asinine and aggressive immigration bills that I've ever seen. In fact, in this bill, it says that if we deported you, uh, you can get another hearing, and then uh, we have to fly you back to the United States. Have you have you seen this? Uh, unfortunately, yes. I read it two nights ago, and I was stunned. Garcia is a new member of Congress from Chicago who is the sponsor. It has over 40 co-sponsors. And this is another sign that Nancy Pelosi is not looking for bipartisan solutions. She's looking for left-wing uh, open border policies to help her most liberal members out there in primaries and with the far left in the United States. And it's it's really uh, a shocking piece of legislation. It's going in the exact opposite direction of where people for the last 10 years have been trying to build consensus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it is essentially an open borders bill. Yeah, I, I saw a banner. It said, no borders, no nations, travel freely. That's pretty scary. Uh, 40 co-sponsors. And, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it, the details, I encourage your listeners to go check it out. It's You'll be shocked when you read the fine print. Yeah, we've got it. We've got it on my Facebook page for everybody to look at. We had Fair on yesterday talking about it. We talked about it uh, as well on Monday. I'm not... Uh, I'm not going to let this one rest. I'm going to be all over this like a a tick on a dog. Uh, Last but not least, job numbers were really good in January. We got to be happy about where our economy is right now. Still strong, Dave. I mean, we've got more job openings continuing than uh, job seekers. Labor force participation rate, which is something in my economic background I follow so closely, it's back up over 63%. It had really slumped between the mid-2000s, even before the recession and the last decade, into 1970s levels. So we're seeing payrolls increasing. We're seeing uh, wages increase. Uh, Hourly earnings are up 3% um, year over year. Those are the kinds of numbers that make Americans uh, happy, and that's why I think the Gallup poll last week showed so much uh, satisfaction among the American families. And yeah, 90% are, are uh, happy and, and and are positive about what their future is going to bring. That I haven't seen numbers like that in a long, long time. Nope. We just need to get this, uh, this rhetoric uh, toned down. Let's get a nominee for President Trump to run against, and let's have that contrast between going towards uh, a very left Democrat socialism set of policies coming out of the Democrats versus uh, maintaining a how to improve our very successful market-based capitalism system with a strong defense and a strong American foreign policy. Congressman, thanks so much for the time. Uh, keep uh, keep us up to date. If the, the you know the uh, Democrats keep shooting themselves in the foot, we'll we'll talk about it and let everybody know about it. We appreciate you. We'll know. We'll never run out of things to talk about. All Take right. Take care. Okay, bye-bye now. Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Glad to hear that he's working so diligently on religious freedom as well uh, for the Coptic Christians uh, over in the Middle East. I'm glad to hear that. And then working with folks in the U.K. and uh, about uh, religious freedom because I'm going to tell you what, they need uh, a good dose uh, a, a, a spiritual awakening, so to speak, 
over in the UK, and perhaps uh, Johnson uh, will be you know able to to do that. We'll have to see. He's got things happening over there, so maybe he can you know grab things. I, I think interestingly enough, as you heard the uh, congressman talking, uh, he's pretty. Uh, it sounds to me uh, engaged and excited with you know the, the number of votes that the president got at the uh, uh, primary last night in New Hampshire, over 120,000. That shows a real energized party as far as the Republicans are concerned. And from listening to him, sounds like to me he believes uh, that this president uh, is going to have long coattails. And uh, with him being at the top of the ticket, uh, that the uh, lower ticket races, that for Senate, that for uh, Congress, uh, he's going to carry a lot of people along with him and hopefully uh, will win the House back coming up in November. But there's a long way to that. I'll I'll keep you up to date on how that's uh, all moving forward here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we've got to get a break in. We're going to take time to to get uh, Rush in. He's coming up with his update. We want to get that into you. Rush sounded really good yesterday. He sounded strong and uh, was excited. It would be interesting to hear what he has to say today. I hope he's here today. I, we don't get a, a, any information on whether he's going to be in or out. I don't know what his medical treatments are going to be like here this week. But if he's here, I'm I'm going to be interested to hear what he has to say about last night's New Hampshire um, uh, primary. To be honest, I can't expect that it to be much different than what I've been saying here during the first hour and uh, what our takeaways can be about all of that. All right, we got to get to uh, Rush and let him say his piece. Then uh, we're going to give you some traffic and some weather, and then we're going to come back here to the Dave Ellswick Show. Stay tuned. More coming your way. 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, we're back. We're continuing on here. It's, uh, oh, 25 minutes till 8 o'clock, 39 degrees, light rain, fog, and a mist falling right now across the area. Look for rain throughout the day. About 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock tonight, uh, it's going to start drying up. We'll go from having a 100% chance of rain with uh, amounts of one to two inches possible uh, today to uh, getting into this uh, evening and uh, seeing that, that fall off to about a 20% chance. And so you're looking at more of just, you know, that, that mist out there uh, for you. Uh, high today, uh, they're telling us that, uh, you know, we're going to have, first of all, a wind from uh, the, uh, what is it, the northeast uh, is going to be coming in, and our high will be about 46. Our low tonight is uh, looking to be in the uh, high 30s, and then tomorrow, high of only 44 degrees, but the sun will be out, so maybe it'll feel a little bit warmer to you and thursday night gonna have a low about uh, 23 degrees and friday sunny uh for valentine's day you hear what i said guys it's valentine's day uh friday sunny high near 40 
with an east-northeasterly wind of 5 to 10, which will make it feel chillier than that. And Saturday, sunny and a high near 55 degrees. And the wind will come from the south at that time at 5 uh, to 10 miles per hour. feel a lot better as far as that's concerned on, on that day. All right, taking a look at some of the stories. Trump campaign releases numbers showing massive support uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, this story from Daily Wire uh, and says that Trump campaign manager Brad uh, Periscali released staggering statistics uh, last night showing the massive level of support that President Trump has in New Hampshire as Democrats simultaneously held their primary. The Democrat story in New Hampshire is the continued dominance of big government socialist policies and the success of their standard bearer, Bernie Sanders. No matter which Democrat eventually uh, emerges from their months-long dumpster fire of a primary uh, process, you can know this. The contrast will be President Trump's record of accomplishments and optimistic view of the future versus the Democrats and their socialist job-killing agenda. Uh, He went on to say that the statistics are playing out very well in the president's favor with approximately, and this is just 54% of precincts reporting, President Trump has already received more votes than President Barack Obama, George Bush, and Ronald Reagan in their respective re-election New Hampshire uh, primaries. Went on to say that uh, now, then at at 62% of precincts reporting, President Trump has surpassed the total votes for President Clinton in the 96th New Hampshire primary. Then 30 minutes later, enthusiasm for the real Donald Trump is due to roof with approximately 70, uh, 70% of precincts reporting President Trump has surpassed the New Hampshire primary vote total of every incumbent president running for re-election over the last four decades. In New Hampshire, uh, the real Donald Trump is very likely to beat the vote percentage of the last three incumbent presidents who won re-election 96, Bill Clinton, 84%. 2004, George W. Bush, 80%. 2012, Barack Obama, 82%. Trump, right now, 86%. It is historic, historic strength. Uh, Earlier yesterday, he had said on Fox News that he had optimism about Trump's chances of winning in the state. Look, I... I think New Hampshire is a much better place than 2016. I feel very comfortable. It's one of the first states that I talk about other than New Mexico as a state that we can add to the map to the 30 states we won last time. So uh, I think what you see uh, last night, 17% of the people that come to that, 50% was from uh, New Hampshire, did not vote in 2016 for any candidate showing up at a rally last night. Those numbers alone take us over the winning line. So the statistics show that 96.6% of those who show up for presidential rallies 
also turn out to vote, and those who donate at least $1 show up to vote at a 98.4% rate. Those kind of numbers are the exciting ones that you're always looking for. Okay, Tebby, Troy, Miss Troy's on the line. Great, let's bring her on. Good to have you with us, or him, pardon me. Uh, Glad to have you with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. The narrative in the media is that the Trump House, uh, White House is in disarray, that there's all this infighting and things that's going on. You've written this new book uh, about that particular topic, and what you've shown is that most White Houses have this kind of infighting going on. I mean, let's just go back to Washington and the fight that he had with Hamilton about a central bank. Yeah, look, uh, my, my book, Fight House, is indeed about fighting in the White House, mostly in the modern era, where we talk about once the development of the White House staff happened, how the White House staff has contributed to the fighting. And it, nobody is denying that there's fighting in the Trump White House, but they're certainly fighting in every White House since Truman, which is what, what I look at. And it makes sense. There's a whole bunch of alpha males now today, alpha females as well. And they're looking at very high-stakes policy issues. It's a very kind of cramped environment. There's a lot of pressure. And this stuff really matters. It's, it's very high stakes. So, yes, there, there is a lot of fighting, and there has always been a lot of fighting in the White House. So is the is Trump White House any – is there more infighting there than there has been previously? Well, one of the things – one of the points I make in White House is I don't have access to the archives on the Trump White House yet. I don't have okay. access to the oral histories. My book looks at the, the – looks deep into the weeds in the various – previous administrations, when we just have more information. So the Bush 43 administration, the oral histories just came online in 2019. That means in 2031 or 2035, depending on what happens in this next election, we'll have that kind of detailed information on what was really going on in the Trump administration. And I look forward to writing a follow-up then. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. Uh, What are some of the big uh, fights that went on behind closed doors that perhaps uh, my listeners are not aware of? Well, one of the greatest fights in White House history was over the recognition of Israel back in 1948. Harry Truman was the president. His secretary of state, George Marshall, was reluctant to, in fact, oppose to recognizing Israel. And he had a young aide, later became famous, but at the time he was just a a young upstart lawyer named Clark Clifford. Mm -hmm. And Clark Clifford was assigned by Truman to make the case in the Oval Office for recognizing Israel over the objection of the Secretary of State and former general and writer of the Marshall Plan, George Marshall, who Truman revered above every other person in public life. And Clifford, smart lawyer that he is, won the day, and Marshall was so mad at the way it worked out that he never again spoke to Clifford or uttered his name for the rest of his life. Wow. Yeah, that's carrying that's carrying a you know, a kind of a ticked off attitude for a long time, huh? Yeah, well, that's the, the fun thing about the book about Fight House, because we really see that some of these people will carry a grudge for a long time after their, their time in the White House is over. What I think, I thought perhaps uh, one of the big uh, big discussions and fights that went on during the Truman White House would have been, do you drop, you know, you know, little man and, and drop, uh, you know, the, the atomic weapons over there in Japan? I know there was a lot of talk at that time. What Was it, uh, you know, hostile talk between people? Yeah, I didn't find any evidence of, of there being real hostility over that. That was, that was obviously a grave decision with a lot of 
uh, huge implications. It was also very tightly held. Right? It was a very de- a dark secret that the U.S. had these capabilities. Mm-hmm. So not every big issue leads to fighting. And one of the things I, I argue in the book, In Fight House, is that when you have a kind of general ideological alignment, even if you don't agree on every issue, if you're generally ideologically aligned, if you really kind of believe in a larger cause, which obviously all the advisors did in, in terms of fighting World War II and defeating the Japanese, then you're going to have less fighting. And I think that's what happened there. Yeah, it's really interesting that uh, the narrative by the press on the our, our uh, uh, president uh, president has been, well, they just can't get along on anything, and he's always replacing this person or that person or whatever. I remember that kind of revolving door going on a lot, but I'm the type of a geek kind of, uh, you know, into uh, politics kind of person that would remember this kind of stuff. I mean, there's been this kind of infighting in just about every White House that I can remember. Well, it's clear that the tenures of people in top White House jobs is, is short. Right? People don't last long in these jobs, and that's always been the case. I mean, you can look statistically and see whether some administrations have shorter tenures than others. This administration may have may have shorter average tenures, but there's other factors going on beyond just infighting. So it is true that you've got short tenures and you always have a lot of fighting in the White House. And again, I look forward to seeing in the archives on, on this administration, but what I found in previous administrations. So, for example, in Obama, I think he had three chiefs of staff in his first term that were actual full-time chiefs of staff, and he also had an interim one as well, Pete Rouse. So Obama had trouble figuring out the right calibration for a chief of staff, in part because Valerie Jarrett was his senior advisor, and Jarrett was known as the night stalker. She would go to the president's <laughs> residence at night and talk to the president privately about what she wanted to happen policy-wise. And a lot of aides, including the chiefs of staff, felt like she was circumventing the process and going around them. And that's another one of the factors I talk about in Fight House. If you have a good process, you're going to see less fighting. But if you have a process where people can circumvent it, you're going to see more fighting. That That's very interesting. I had no idea that was going on. That's that's a that's a little nugget. I'm, I, I've got to sit down. I've got a copy of the book. I need to sit down and read it. I've been so busy following Iowa and New Hampshire right now that I, I haven't really had time to spend time to, to read your book. But it just looks really, really interesting to a kind of a wonky guy like me, I find this really very interesting. Take us back to the Kennedy White House and the Johnson White House, if you could. What were they like? Sure. And let me just say one thing about Fight House, which is I, I think, uh, you know, you as a wonky guy might enjoy it, but I think everybody will enjoy it because I think everybody can relate to these stories. And also whatever organization you're in, the lessons I have about how to control conflict will apply. And when the Johnson and Kennedy administration did a very interesting shifting power dynamic, because in the first, in the Kennedy term, Robert F. Kennedy is the attorney general, he's the president's brother, and he's also the closest person to Kennedy. And he uses his position to marginalize and humiliate Lyndon Johnson. They had crazy nicknames for him, like Uncle Cornpone. And Johnson <laughs> is really in an uncomfortable and unhappy position. The unhappiest part of his life was when he was serving as vice president to the United States. And then Kennedy is tragically assassinated. And Robert F. Kennedy is still the attorney general, but suddenly he doesn't have a president on his side in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. And now Johnson uses the opportunity to marginalize Kennedy. And so the power dynamics shift. And then Kennedy leaves, and he keeps making noise about running for president while the Vietnam War is raging. And Johnson is constantly looking over his shoulder at Robert F. Kennedy and what Kennedy is doing on Vietnam, and that's affecting his judgment and the decisions he makes on Vietnam. So here was a, a, a fight, an internal fight, that actually had national and global implications. 
when you were reading uh, about Johnson's White House, was there information there that he felt that he must pursue the civil rights legislation that uh, John F. Kennedy wanted to uh, to pass in Congress? Because Lyndon Baines Johnson was anything but a purveyor of uh, civil rights during the time that he was the head of the Senate uh, there in Washington, D.C. I think Johnson saw the opportunity of using the Kennedy legacy to pursue certain pieces of legislation. And you see this throughout, that uh, whether it was the Great Society or the Civil Rights Legislation or even the Vietnam War to some degree. He felt like he was either pursuing the Kennedy agenda or, or at least taking advantage of the Kennedy agenda so he could say, well, look, I'm just following what the, our martyred president would do. And that helped him get past the things that he wanted to get. He wanted that big pieces of legislation passed. And he did. And some of them I admire and some of them I, I admire less because we're still paying the cost for some of them. So uh, J- Johnson really did use that Kennedy mantle to try and advance some pieces of legislation. Teddy Troy is our guest. Uh, his book, Fight House, I, I think it's one to read just so that you can understand that the narrative that the media has tried to build about how the Trump White House is dysfunctional uh, is that a lot of White Houses behind uh, the scenes is uh, dysfunctional. So, Tevi, what was it about this particular subject that really got you interested in writing this book? Well, actually, what you just said in that last comment is what got me interested. This whole question of, is there White House fighting? Has there been White House fighting? And does it lead to dysfunctionality? So I would argue that there have been many administrations where you had healthy fighting, where people can kind of sort it out at around the table, and then afterwards they will shake hands and say, okay, you know, you're, you're position one in front of the president, but let's move on. I'm not going to not utter your name for the rest of my life as, as we <laughs> had with the, the Clifford Marshall incident. It's wild. And so, and also if you have too little fighting, meaning if you have complete agreement on everything, then you have groupthink. And mm-hmm. we saw that a little bit in the Johnson administration with respect to the Vietnam War. There was a sense that nobody could raise any questions or queries or complaints about the war. In fact, I even say in the book that there was a little grouping at State Department that had some questions about the war, and they were so scared of Johnson because he didn't want any disagreement on the war that they called themselves the non-group. They didn't want to call themselves a group, and they had secret meetings, so Johnson wouldn't find out about them. So that's not a good and healthy way to foster good political discussion and good process about how to get things done. So it was that really that got me interested. Is is there a point at which fighting leads to dysfunction? How much fighting is healthy and how much fighting have we had in previous administrations? Precisely because of this media narrative you're talking about that suggested that fighting had never happened before. All right. So my last question is, uh, uh, let's talk about the Nixon White House. What was it like behind the scenes in the Nixon White House? Yeah, the Nixon White House is one of the craziest and one of the most uh, fun parts of my book, Fight House. In the Nixon White House, you had Henry Kissinger, who was at the time relatively young. We think of him as this old man prognosticating on on foreign policy. But he was was insecure in his early 40s, very smart, heavy Germanic accent, which was not necessarily an advantage in late 1960s America because we weren't that far removed from World War II. Mm -hmm. He was also Jewish in an administration with not a lot of Jews in it. And he was pitted against William Rogers, who was the Secretary of State kind of a patrician-type guy who had a 20-year relationship with Nixon dating back to the Eisenhower years. And um, Nixon should, by all, by, you know, by the statistics, should have been siding with Rogers. But he liked Kissinger. He liked Kissinger's brilliance. 
Uh, he thought Rogers didn't really have anything to teach him on foreign policy. And Kissinger would do all these things to marginalize Rogers and to diminish Rogers. And, um, and they had some pretty titanic fights. Uh, but one great story is that Kissinger used to uh, like to date the ladies. And uh, one late woman he was dating was a Bond girl, Jill St. John. Yeah. And it showed up in the newspapers that Kissinger was dating her. Kissinger goes to Nixon, complains that Secretary of State Rogers leaked the information. The truth is that Kissinger leaked the information, A, so that people would know he was dating a Bond girl, <laughs> but B, also so as to diminish Rogers in the eyes of Nixon. Oh, Wow. That's that's great stuff, and you're going to get a lot of it out of this book, Tevi Troy, Fight House. Tevi, thanks so much for your time. It's it's available online and at uh, bookstores around the nation, and people should pick up a copy. Just make a great read, no doubt about it. Thank you so much, Dave. All right. Talk to you later. Tevi Troy here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Can you imagine that? I didn't know that uh, Kissinger dated Jill St. John. Lucky man he was. Diamonds are forever. That was Jill St. John. All right, a break. And then more on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back. Last uh, segment here of the Dave Ellswick Show for this hour. Coming up top of the hour, we'll have some news for you. Then when we come back, Joe and Duck will be here in the studio ready to talk about cars. Answer any of the uh, questions you have uh, about your own vehicle and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about some of the different things going on as far as, uh, you know, things are concerned uh, as far as cars are concerned. You know, what are some of the changes that are coming? I, I had a really, what do you got there? Are those uh, donuts or something? Oh, we got donuts. Well, I'll be stuffing one of those in my mouth during the break at the top of the hour. I just brewed up a, a fresh new pot of coffee, Zach, just so you'll know. So uh, we'll get to that, all of that coming up. Hey, tomorrow we've got a good show planned for you as well. JR will be with us in the first hour uh, in the uh, five, uh, five, I'm still stuck on my time frame for my afternoon show. In the eight o'clock hour, uh, we've got a special guest that will be joining with us uh, from Harding that uh, will be interesting to, to talk to. And I forgot who I got at seven. I'll tell you next hour. Uh, it's somebody that uh, I was looking forward to having on uh, here on the show. So we'll be dealing with uh, that. Well, I guess I should write all these names down so that I remember them clearly. All right. We have news coming up. We've got uh, traffic next hour. We've got weather next hour. We've got all that going on. 39 degrees right now. We got two minutes until 8 o'clock. Stay with us. More coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show in the morning. From uh, 6 a.m. until 9 a.m., Gallagher is next, followed by Rush, by Sean Hannity, and at the 5 o'clock hour, uh, it's going to be Jay Sekulow right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer, the home of the Rush Limbaugh Show.
final hour of a Wednesday show here on uh, 1011 FM. The answer for Dave Ellswick it's 40 degrees, six minutes after eight. Good to have you along for the ride today. Don't forget that they're saying rain for the rest of the day. They're saying one to two inches possible before five o'clock. So Them that, folks that down in t- south was catching it. Yeah, that tells me a lot of flash flooding going on. I had seen that they had called for flash flooding around the White River earlier, uh, earlier uh, this week. So we'll have to see what's what's going on as far as that. Okay. Yeah, I see. Yeah. It's, Made a few changes. Here. We're going to talk. Excuse me. We're going to talk about the annual car show that's coming up with Bumper to Bumper out at the Conway Expo Center. That is coming up uh, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, and this is going to have the best of uh, the show and and all of that. And that's going to happen on uh, Saturday, May the 30th. Need to know about this. We want to get it out to you as soon as we can because it's a great place to come some great things that uh, are going to happen two flat screen tvs uh and that's a raffle you can buy tickets put them in the, the thing to draw door prizes they got it's an indoor show so if it's really hot out it'll be cool but if it's, it's co- wet out it'll be dry it's first come first gets in the building yes yeah well that's you can pre-register but i don't guarantee you a spot inside it's first come to first you gotta get there early in the morning correct. Got to see Joe and Duck early in the morning. What time are you going to start? Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. We'll be there. Well, I'll be there in my motor home. So, but uh, last year they was lined up at five forty-five. Yeah, yeah. they'll be they'll be lined up out there. So. All right. It's a twenty-dollar donation to register. One hundred percent of the proceeds will benefit the Ronald McDonald House Charities as they have in the past. And that, that twenty dollars, you know, it just what it does. It hits our hands. And then hits the hands of the people at the Ronald We McDonald take nothing house. out of it. No, nothing. Zero. If <clears> the, the folks uh, at Bumper to Bumper are really good about this. Registration for the uh, drawing for the flat screen TVs. We're going to have some. You can purchase those at some of the locations. We're working out the DOT D- details on that okay. at some of the uh, Bumper to Bumper stores and some of the certified service center places. Okay, so you can buy as many tickets as you want. That's correct. And you do not have to be present to win. Just name, address, phone number, information the for the contact. It has to be legible. Okay. And uh, if and your name will be drawn out the day of the show. If you're not there, they'll contact you and tell you where you can pick your TV up at. Take your time and print in block letters. We have some trouble reading yes. that sometimes. You Dave. better believe All it. I time. know. I have been one of the people I had to read them before. And yeah, you're like, hmm. Doctors have nothing on regular people. Correct. When it so, comes to writing so Joe, their names. On this poster you got me you give me? Mm-hmm. So who's in this picture on this car? That's <laughs> Bud Burnett. He's last year's winner. <laughs> yep. So what we decided to do that last year's winner or his car will be on the poster and it'll just kind of perpetuate from there so we don't have to pick out a car to put on there. Yeah, that's good. Last year's winner gets the poster. Gets on the poster. By the way, a new addition this year for Best of Award. Yep. The Best 4x4. That's correct. Off-road 4x4. We'll have a division for that. Wow. One trophy. Just keep adding in, man. Get more cars. Have the the Rat Rod trophy and stuff, too. Yeah, it's still going to be here. Yeah, Rod's down here. Russell start here next next couple weeks soon to get his hand healed up. He'll start gathering up stuff and... You getting I'll pretty start, close on that hand? 
Well, they put it in a splint yesterday. They told him four more weeks. Just takes time. Yes. It takes time. But uh, I'll, I'll start gathering up stuff, and he'll start gathering up stuff. It may be a little tall this year. I've got a camshaft out of a out of an E7 Mac. It's tall. Okay. How tall is that? Mm, three and a half foot. Wow. I bought a piece of one by six yesterday, three and a half foot of it that I put on top of a um, kind of an old desk that I used to have. Don't use it for that anymore. So I could put a television up on it so that we could lay in bed and watch TV in the bedroom. <laughs> I had mine hanging on the wall. But I had to, ha- I had to, yeah, I'm not going to put mine on the wall. I always move them around. You know, it makes sense for me yeah. just to, just to pay the, the $10 that I paid for my piece of wood. <laughs> <laughs> and you should have told me I'd have brought you a piece. I got about 20 at old house. Really? Yep. I got to do something with. Yeah. Well, I should have said something. Yep. But, uh. My fault. You know, a car show, you know, last year we had what, 168, wasn't it, Joe? 168. I yes. think that's correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we put people, we had to put, start putting people out back, but there's a, it's a covered place. We all brought our big shop fans, you know, from the shops and plugged them up. And it was fairly nice. Uh, you know, at least you ain't sitting out in the hot sun, just dying. Yeah. Frying. You know? Yeah. And, and with all the fans blowing and they got the big fans in the ceiling, they finally got them up working last year. So, uh, it'll be neat. It stays cool. It was cool last year. Customer advertisement is going to put it on all the billboards again this year. Okay, good. I need to give uh, Billy and all them out there a thanks because they've done this for the last five or six years now, Joe, I think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they put it on, like last year, I think it was on 100 different billboards. Yeah, you go past them. If you drive uh, I-30, you're uh, right out there. Anywhere in the state of Arkansas. Yeah. He even put it up in up in Fedville Spring area. They got them up there, you know, that, that rotate around. Yep. He put, you know, he puts them all over. I, I think he told me he had it on a hundred billboards last year. That's fantastic. You know, Made and a they lot do of cars. It, they do it all free of charge for the Ronald McDonald House. All right. Because he knows what the Ronald McDonald House does. Yes, sir. Helps a lot of Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Helps a lot of people. So let me let me go over the specifics of it again because we get the first break in. This is going to be on Saturday, May the 30th. It's a little bit down the road. However, we wanted to get it out in front of you because, uh, the you know, different car clubs will be making up the days that they're going to have their car shows. We want you to know that Saturday, May the 30th is when you're going to have a big car show uh, happening out in Conway. It is the bumper-to-bumper uh, annual car show. I think this is the 11th year. This is 11th? Yeah. Somewhere along yeah, the way. I think it's the 11th year mm-hmm. that we've done this. They're going to give away two flat screen TVs. They're going to do it by raffle. They're going to give you the opportunity to buy your tickets at the car show or at some bumper to bumper locations. We'll get that information to you when it becomes available to us. There'll be door prizes. It is an indoor show, so you stay dry if it's wet, you stay cool if it's hot. It's a $20 donation to register your car. All that money, 100% of it, goes to the proceeds to benefit the Ronald McDonald House and charities. It's held at the Conway Expo Center at 2505 East Oak Street. Starts at 10 a.m. for the the folks that want to come out and look at the cars. 2 p.m. car show entries. And remember, first come, first serve for getting inside the building. You can start checking in at 7 a.m., but people will be lining up way before that. 
7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Best of Show wins a $1,000 shopping spree to your local Crow Burlingame or bumper-to-bumper auto parts store. And we will announce the winner at 2 p.m. That's correct. We should be by scoring. And we've, we've hit that timeline either right at it or a little bit earlier yeah. the last four years. Yeah, one year we had trouble figuring out who won it, and it, we went right at 2 o'clock that year. Mm-hmm. Before was that the flip of the coin one? That's the flip of the coin. <laughs> I remember that man. That, that that's when you know you got great people coming to the show to compete. Oh, absolutely! You know they're bringing their some of these guys cars. They, they know each other. They're in car shows and yeah, they talk to one another and everywhere. see one another. And that's what the guy that that won it that year. He said, "Well, I was with him here not uh, like a couple weeks before that, and he won the coin toss." So, you know. They, that tells you how close it is. Yeah. Yeah. It got down to counting paint chip, Dave, as you know. I know. Yeah, it was We're crazy. about little bitty paint chip. Yeah. yeah. And they both had nine. <laughs> that's what Russ told me. He said, Dad, they both got the same yeah. amount of and paint chip. And they just looked at each other and they said, get a quarter. Yep. I went, we, you know, Joe, which Joe, you know, is that was his customer. So, you know, he said, duck your own, your own. All right. We got to get to a break. But before we do that, let's get to the phones. Gary is in hot springs gary how are you welcome to uh you know joe and duck here on the dave ellswick show you got a car question yes dave thank you much sure what i have is a 92 ford f350 four-wheel drive standard shift uh a gentleman put a rear end in it about 20 years ago that didn't there was a higher geared rear end that belonged in it and he, he took the tag off the rear end how do i figure out what gears go in this truck count them Yep, I was thinking to say, well, wait a minute. You said he he changed the ratio in the rear end. Correct. So he you don't know. You don't drive know. rear end in the truck. So you right. don't know what was really born in it. No, but 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 did you you correct. did say this is a four by four? Correct. Correct. Okay, then it's going to be the same ratio as it came with because if he changed that ratio and you lock it in the front wheels, it's going to push and it. they're different. It's going to break something in a transfer mm-hmm. case. Well, it, always, it was always in a bind. You could drive it in four-wheel low, and it didn't seem to bother. But you go four-wheel high, and you could tell it was in a bind. Yeah, there, it's it maybe maybe just a little bit yeah, off. But. Pull the front cover off and count your teeth. Or look on the ring the and pinion. Yeah, the front differential. Yeah, pull the front differential cover off, roll it around, and you'll look on the ring gear. It'll say ten yep. in ten into forty-one, or it'll say ten forty-one. Mm-hmm. That's a four eleven ratio. Say that on the ring gear. Yes, sir. It'll, it'll be on the ring gear. And if you'll do that and call with that, we can tell you what ratio it is. Most likely okay, that's so going to find out what that number is and call you back, and then you can tell me what corresponds with the, the rear end. Yes, sir. What should be in the rear end. All right. And, I appreciate that. And most likely that thing is going to have 373s in it, what it should have come from the factory. Pretty close, yeah. 373s. Yes, sir. Okay, because now the, that's a 92 Ford. It's the first year that they put four tires on a F-350. Yep. But most likely it's going to have a 375s. Yes. All right. Thank you very much for your time, sir. You're welcome. All right, Gary. Appreciate the call. Thank you very much here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's 18 minutes after 8. It's 40 degrees. We got light rain and fog in the area. 43 up in Cabot, 43 in Conway, 40 degrees in Hot Springs, and Pine Bluff is 41 degrees. All right. You know, are you within about five years of claiming Social Security? 
that decision is far more complicated than most people realize. It could trigger a mountain of taxes, double your Medicare premiums, and cause you to forfeit thousands of dollars in other benefits. And it could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars as well. Learn how you can avoid this at an educational event that's going to be called Maximizing Social Security with my good buddy, David Lucas. Tickets are just $20. That includes a 40-page workbook, but seating is limited to just 31 people. Happens on Thursday, February 20th. That's a week from tomorrow at uh, 6 p.m. in North Little Rock. If you've saved more than $250,000 and have not filed for Social Security, this is worth your time. Uh, call to get your ticket now at 501-222-3315. That's 501-222-3315. 501-222-3315. On Saturday, guys, during the car and truck doctors, Gary Henry was here and Ken was here. Yes, sir. And we were talking about the new... Uh, things that are coming on cars, like uh, the stuff about lane control and stopping when something gets in front of you and stuff like that. It's called ADAS, Active Driver Assist System. Okay. Well, they said it. I didn't write it down. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bottom line, uh, Gary Henry was talking about setting up one bay in his workshop where you have to relearn these cameras and stuff. You have to calibrate them. Yeah, yep. when something goes wrong. And you, he's, he's saying this is thousands of dollars for you guys to be able to do this. Uh, an ADAS machine, if if you check on them, the price is between fifteen and $19,000. I was fixing to say, you're going to spend close to 20000 time it's all said and done. Now, your return on your money is some of these systems require, if it has had been in a wreck or a windshield or a bump or a, a camera failure or a radar unit failure, when you can't just bolt it up on there and turn it on, it's going to work. It's not going to happen. You yeah. have to have a scanner where you can go in there and calibrate it. There are targets to aim at. That's what they were saying. He was saying it's really, really complex. Some place somewhere between two to $500 to, to calibrate, depending on uh, what kind of vehicle it is, you know, how it, long it If takes. it's almost $20,000 for the equipment, mm-hmm. that's a lot of calibrations that you guys got to do to get your uh, – you know, your initial investment. Dive. Yeah, and then speaking of that, Dave, you, you know, you, I, I get a customer in every once in a while, you know, and, and he'll he'll gripe at me because I charge him an hour's labor or, or half hour's labor to scan his vehicle. Then I look at him. I said, do you know how much that scanner costed? I just hooked to your vehicle. They don't care. I said, it's $18,000. I just bought it. They don't it. care. I'm just saying they don't care. You know, but. They but, figure that's just the cost of you doing business. But then you go over to International. I took a truck over and got them to program one because my system was down and I couldn't get it back up. Mm-hmm. They charged me four hundred something dollars to program IDM. I pulled up to the back door, opened the hood, clipped my new one on it, tied it on with a zip tag. He walked out, hooked his machine to it. Three minutes, he said, "Okay, you're ready." Charged me four hundred something dollars. They charged me a seventy-five dollar computer fee. Now that ain't that's nothing but using their computer. Right. And they charged me a $144 shop fee. Well, they got to pay for their stuff, too. I know. You kind of look at it like this, all right? Any any programming that's done, we we don't have that software. 
So to explain it to you where you'll understand it is, we have to buy a download from the manufacturer. Yep. Doesn't matter who it is. Ford, Chevrolet, International, Freightliner, anything. They sell that software to us. We have to purchase it, and then we have to have the equipment capable of taking that download and putting it in your vehicle for you. And that equipment costs money. And they don't let you keep that download, do they? No. It's good for one one serial number. You you can drive up to any discount parts store and walk in there and say, hey, can you do me a code test? They walk out there with a three, four, five dollars $500 code reader. We walk out there, or we'll do the same thing for you at our shop, free of charge. We'll code test it. But we're not going to diagnose what's wrong for free. Right. We're going to use a $10,000 scanner on it to diagnose it. We're going to use the freeze frame data, and we're going to actually – test and we're not going to guess dave i know that's it i had one so we're not, see you. <laughs> and we're not doing that for free i had one joke guy had done had it at two different shops he said hey i got it's a 2001 model it's the last year they made the 73 power stroke he said yeah i've had it at two different places said i can be running down the road he said it may run three or four days and not die on me he said i'll be running down the road and die he said unless that there 30 40 minutes and it light right up i said have they wavelength the crank sensor because you know how much mm-hmm. trouble they are absolutely and he said i don't know he said i said have they replaced it he said no nope. so blake my youngest one I, he pulls it in there and he pulls the wavelength up and you can sit there watch it go yep yeah it's got a it so blake i said now the people on facebook just saw that yeah it, that, it that runs, finger movement it runs wave up and <laughs> what, when what duck is saying is they graph it yeah right and it's actually got like in a hospital where you can see a heartbeat going up and down. That sensor is giving the same type of signal. Yeah, it's pulsing it, and and it pulses up, and then it fall out, and then it catch it again. Put a crank sensor in it. Guy called me. No he said, hey, It's run. It's running fine. But you never know unless you got you know. Got to test it. That's eighteen thousand dollar computer. I was say you got to have the proper equipment to be able to test it. I've got nine different one of them. Because I had to have them from, from cars to 18-wheelers. And now I've got it for John Deere tractor. I've got it for the Caterpillar dozers because the county's got some and the city's got some. And so I've I can come over in. with my lawnmower since i got a John Deere and you can put it on? Bet you bottom dollar. <laughs> you hook a lab scope to one of those sensors like that, Dave, when you hook a lab scope up and you go in there and you're in a spe- specific program for a year-making model of car and you say, I want to graph the crank sensor, just like Duck did on that one. That tool that we're using has got a graph on it that shows you what it should look like. Yep. It's got, it's got wow. the OEM Mine's graph. got it on top, and then it pulls what's on so the truck. So you can see if it matches. That's correct. Yep. You can do the same thing with a fuel pump. A guy says, you know, sometimes it runs good, sometimes it runs bad, sometimes hard to start. You can graph the fuel pump, and you can tell if the pump's wore out, can't you, Doug? Yep. That's right. what you pay for when we test it. All right, we got Sean Hannity coming up, so we're going to take a break for that. When we come back, we'll take more of your calls, 823-0965. you got a car problem, you got a truck problem, you got a pickup problem, you call, you ask, they'll try to give you an answer here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 1011 FM, The Answer. 25 minutes until 9 o'clock, and uh, then I'm done, and Mike Gallagher will be here. Uh, to do his thing. Then I got to do some things in the studio here while Gallagher's doing his thing in New York. Uh, Gina's coming by today from Little Rock Tours. We're going to do a, a Facebook uh, advertisement for the trip up to see the Ark, uh, the trip that we're doing coming up in the beginning of uh, 
When y'all May. going? Early, uh, May 20th is when we're going. We're going to go up there probably in July. Yeah. But there's more to our trip. You should come with us. Oh, we're going all the way over to the East Coast. Oh, you're, you're, you're going everywhere. Yeah, probably three weeks, maybe four. Yeah, but this, our trip is only five days. It, <laughs> it's not three weeks. Well, we're going up to Branson, go see Noah the Musical, then go to a couple of shows up in Branson, then make our way to St. Louis and go to the safari there at Grant's Farm, and then make our way to Louisville and take the Louisville Bell out on the Mississippi River and have dinner and then uh, head over to the Ark and see the Ark and then make our way back to uh, Little Rock. That's a pretty good little tour. Then. It's a nice trip, yeah. Have you ever been, been up in the Ark in St. Louis? Uh, yes. I have, too. I was about that's the, 14, those, 15. Those little ride, that little ride is so small clunk, clunk, inside. Yeah. Clunk, clunk, yeah. Clunk, clunk. You're afraid the thing's going to fall apart. Then you get up there and you can feel it go waving about six or seven foot each way. Yeah, it don't bother me. That That part don't bother me. All right, we got more callers. You guys ready? Cool. You guys ready to go? All right. Got Ron in Little Rock. Let's bring Ron up here. Let's get him up there. Hey, Ron, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Joe and Duck are here. What's your question? Well, I'm a a, uh, customer of uh, Joe. He's worked on all my cars for the last several years, but I've got a question. Okay. I've I've got a, a 08 Acura MDX that he's actually worked on. Uh, it's got 200,000 miles on it. This car is just drive back and forth to work. It's, you know, an all-wheel drive car. It's great for that, just back and forth. But I recently started getting a uh, a code coming up on the dash that says, you know, service due soon. And I expected that because it's about ready for an oil change. But the code says A146. And when I try to look it up, it starts talking about things. Well, I can't get a solid you know, reading anywhere from what it is, you know, on the internet or any other place. And, and it's talking about timing chains and sensors and all kinds of stuff. And, and, uh, that, that's, that's I, expensive I, stuff. It's talking about. Well, I, I well, think, and, go ahead. Go ahead. I think that you're going to have a code in there for a, uh, phaser code or a actuator. Yeah. Now oil volatility on them is real critical. Of course, it could have a timing chain or a guide or a phaser that's not working right. Uh, you need to bring that by and let me take a look at it. It's what you need to do, Ron. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty, more than just reading thing. a code, okay? Right. Well, and, you know, if it was just an oil change, I didn't want to worry about it, you know. Today. I would. I, if you come in and that oil's real dirty, I'm going to tell you the first thing, and if you took it to Duck, he's going to tell you the first thing, too. We need to change oil and filter on this, yep. clear these codes out, and go drive it and watch the actuators and, and see what's happening and make sure it's functioning properly. See, when it commanded right. it, it is commanded to do what it's doing. Those solenoids right. that control those uh, cam phasers have very fine micro screens in them, and dirty oil can stop them up, and they'll be late or they'll hang, and it'll cause you to set codes, and, and the engine won't run right, and the light's going to come on. And, and But oil volatility, how clean it is, is very important. And, and you know, wow. speaking of that, Joe, it, it'll have stumbling problems, you know, when you start to pull up your red light, start to take off, it'll stumble every once in a while. And that tells you that, that the timing on the engine is not coming up quick enough. Yeah, you, you, you need to bring it by, and, and, you know, you said you'd been at my shop before, so come by and let me get oh, a yeah. scanner and go for a ride with you, okay? You got it. I'll be there soon. All right, All right thank you. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Let's go to Richard, who's up in Greenbrier. What's going up in Greenbrier today, Richard? Is the sun shining up there? 
No, sir. It's awful wet. <laughs> okay. All right. So what's happening? I've got a 2006 uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee four-wheel drive, and every time I try to turn, I get a grinding noise. It's it's kind of like it's in four low, and you, and you turn it real sharp, and it just wants to grind and grind. Uh, is that and it doesn't matter if I turn left or right, but is that a wheel bearing or is that more will be like a CV joint? It could be a wheel bearing. It could be an axle too. Yep. Okay. Uh, I, I, you know, noises. I, I, your your description is pretty good. Yep. Better than most people. But that Jeep <laughs> and a four by four, it, 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 we need to hear that noise. Yep. How okay. many miles on this Jeep, Richard? Uh, about one hundred forty-five thousand. Yeah, one forty. I'm going to tell you that 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 my first thought about that is is probably a wheel bearing if it's never had one okay. put on. Richard, when you're going down the road and 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 you just say you ease it to the left like you're going to ease out to pass somebody, mm-hmm. does it get noisier then, or when you're coming back straightening it up? Uh, it it really gets. I don't know if you be, if you can go down the road. And if you take your hands off the steering wheel, it'll it'll dart to the right. Need a wheel bearing in it, most likely. Yeah. You think it's the wheel bearing? Yeah. That that's the answer I wanted to hear, other than the axle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the axles okay. are not that bad on no. those, but you know. Uh, are they not? No. Uh, but okay. but if you know if if you'll take it by uh, one of the CSC certified service centers. Uh, Tom Barkley. Tom, Tom Barkley, Barkley up there in Greenbrier. You know where Tom Barkley's at up there? I do. Yeah, I do. go see Tom and yeah, tell him we sent that. you. That's right. Okay. He's a okay. good man. Well, I appreciate it. He'll take care of you. We appreciate that, right. too. All right. So, you know, go see Tom. <coughs> he does really good uh, work. In fact, he was the number one technician in the Greenbrier area last year, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. or the Best year stuff. before. Yeah. yeah, very good man. In that time. Oh, yeah. He'd still be with us, except he's had some health problems. Well, that and his daughter's doing uh, 4-H That's stuff. right. And he's he, traveling he, all over the United States yeah. showing sheep. Yeah. You know? And, and I, it, if you, you need to spend all the time you can with your kids. You yep. better, yeah, you that's need a, to. That's a full-time job. All right. We got more calls. We'll get to them. 823-0965 is the number to call here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's uh, about 17 minutes till 940 degrees in central Arkansas. All right, let's get back to the phones here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You got a car question, 823-0965. Let's go to Benton. Tony is on the line. Tony, how are you? And welcome to the show. Your question for Joe and Duck. Doing good. How are you all this morning? Just fine. Good. Great. Hey, I just uh, got a 2012 Silverado and uh, noticed a couple weeks ago I heard that fan running fast, a little low on water, running a little hot. Got a little old crack on one of the plastic ends of the radiator. Yes, sir. Have y'all had much experience or heard much about these little old, like little plastic soldering kits they make for these things? Are they worth a darn or Won't is it work. not Won't even work. worth wasting any money? Won't work. Correct. What What has okay. happened is where the water comes through the fins and it hits the side of that plastic, it wears it real thin, and then it just cracks out. You can, but you can buy that radiator. They're They're not that expensive anymore. Okay. Yeah, okay. the plastic gets and brittle, you know, and and the problem with trying to put any kind of uh, something on there to patch it with, every time that engine comes to temperature, that radiator expands and that plastic swells up, and every time it gets cold outside, that Shrinks plastic contracts. Down. So it's constantly expanding and contracting. You can't put any glue on there that'll do that. 
because it's not okay. going to expand or contract the same rate as the plastic in the radiator. So it never does work. Not even Gorilla Glue? We have tried, haven't we, Doc? <laughs> yes. It don't work. <laughs> Wasting well, your yeah, time. Well, yeah, you watch a little old video on it, and it tells you, you know, to cut oh, yeah. out like a little V, use their yep. solder, and actually it says to melt the plastic on the radiator mm-hmm. and mix it with it. And I'm thinking, yes. oh, hey, you're making it thinner all the way around where yes, you're sir. patching something, so it's putting a weak spot all the way around. Mm-hmm. I Plus, solder copper like nobody's business, but I didn't think plastic <laughs> was <laughs> worth messing with. The problem not- with the plastic is when it gets old and gets fatigued, it's not the same plastic it was when it was built. Just like us. Yeah. When we get yeah. older, we're not the same people we were when That's we right. were 16. <laughs> you want to fix it, buy well, a new radio. Uh, yeah, I'll call down Duck Shop and see what they right. run put one in it because I, uh, I, I ain't got the tool. I think you got that special tool for them lines out and the transmission <laughs> yeah. coders and yeah. all that. Yeah, you so. do. All right, Tony. All right. Well, I'll just I'll holler down Thank shop. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Thanks, we appreciate it. And Duck will do a good job for you. Eight two three zero nine six five. That's the phone number. Well, you know, them plastic soldering arms, Dave, come out for the plastic bumpers. Okay. But a bumper don't get hot and cold like, okay. a, like a radiator does. They're great for them plastic bumpers. Not you know. expanding and contracting. Yeah. Well, you tear a hole in the bumper, they lay it back over, and they heat it up, and, you know, and they clean it good, and, it, you know, and they can solder them back together with that. But a radiator, like as Joe said, them little Honda Joes, remember how they used to crack right behind the chiller sure. neck? Yeah. I've seen people come in and have... Uh, three or four tubes of jb weld on them jb weld epoxy whatever you can think of we've seen it all yep silicone it doesn't matter How about that spray stuff that supposedly you can build a boat out of and i hadn't seen that so it don't work <laughs> <laughs> but i had a guy come in and he told me he he was on his fourth tube of jb weld you know the two parts where you mix it up yeah and it you barely could get the radiator cap off and on. He had so much piled up on it. Oh, and that's not good. And you can buy them little radiators. They're like $130 or $40, you know. Yeah. It's not It's not worth the, the effort to try and save a little bit of money to do that because even if you did get it to hold for a little bit, it is a temporary fix. Yeah. Because that plastic radiator tank is just like a windshield, isn't it, Doug? Exactly. That run, that crack is not going to do anything except get bigger. You might, when it was an inch long, glue it up and make it last for a little bit. But every time that radiator tank gets hot and expands, that crack's going to grow. Pretty soon you'll think, well, it's leaking now, but it's not leaking where it was. It's an inch away from it. Yep, or right. two inches. Same thing. You know, and, and they tell you to take a drill and drill at the end of it. You know, that full stop to crack. In plastic, it don't work. In metal, no. it does work. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, they just need new radiator. Yeah, and like, like I say, them... Them little, Save the hassle. Yeah, correct. You, they're one hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty dollars. You know, for the radio on them little Honda cars. Yeah, but that's better to to pay that than to have the thing blow out on you or something. Yeah. I mean, really, you it'll fall apart and then it overheats, and now you got some real money you're going to spend. I got a twenty ten Honda Accord, clean as a pin. Dave's got ninety eight thousand miles on it. Daddy tried to patch the radiator on it. Mm-hmm. It blew out on the sun going to school. He, he burned it up. He cooked the motor in it. Sitting yeah. there in my shop. Been there now for about two months. Actually, he brought me a title to it the other day. No, here, you take care of it. Yep. And <laughs> I got a buddy that owns a wrecking yard, and he's got one over a totaled out. And yeah. I'm going to pull the motor out of it and put it in it and give it to my granddaughter. That's the way it works sometimes. Well, you know, you could you could do a lot of damage, especially if you're not paying attention to that <laughs> when one of them, and you've been trying to, you know, patch it up and make it last longer if you don't have the money to fix it right that's okay but just remember that's still a temporary fix 
sooner or later you're going to have to dig in the pocketbook or budget for it to get it fixed properly. And it and, could blow out at any moment. And if it does blow out, quit driving it. Don't try and just keep going and going. You're going to end up costing yourself more money in the long run. Yeah, that's the key that I think a lot of people just don't get. I, I understand what it's like to have tight finances. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we all do. I have been in, in corners that I didn't know how I was going <laughs> to get out of, all right? And I finally was able to get out of them. But I understand that sometimes you look at a $200 repair and it might as well be $2 million. Well, I, we deal with that every day in our business, don't we, Doug? Every day. You know, and, and we try and if a car comes in and it's got three or four problems, we'll say you need to prioritize. This is what needs to be done right now to make it safe and, and make the vehicle physically safe to drive as well as safe to operate where it doesn't hurt something or damage something else on the vehicle. And then when you get that fixed, you can bring it back and you can wait a little bit and then we'll do this. And then we'll, we'll fix work. other problems. That's correct. And, you know, we don't mind helping and giving good advice on that. All right, before I let you guys go today, because we got eight minutes left, well, seven, to be honest, what are you guys uh, doing on uh, Friday? You know what Friday is. It's Valentine's They're Day. Very good. I, 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 I could see I could see his brain working, all right? Yeah. We're you, staying home. You're staying home? Yes. Well, if you don't have, you know, an, a reservation, you probably won't find one now. It's tough. Yes. we've been it. married 43 years 44 years now you you don't take your your sweetheart out for dinner and just stare I at her, her with three big times, puppy eyes over the i take her out three times a week ain't that enough <laughs> i'm gonna take but she my, wants to go someplace besides chick-fil-a i'm gonna take my wife susan out <laughs> yeah. saturday morning uh-huh. about 4 30 4 30 in the morning take her to the airport so she can get on a plane oh she's going to miami and go on a cruise she's so going on a cruise good, yeah wow I, hey, dave that's a that's a pretty good little present for valentine i, I agree and the best part she likes about it is i'm not going she's going with her sister <laughs> yeah because when you go you're <laughs> she, like me you complain all the time yeah. about being stuck <laughs> they, on a boat they don't have to put up with us they're all on their oh, own man i can Tip. you take me on a cruise and within two days I am going absolutely crazy on yeah. board that ship. I'm banging. And I, I have usually get, you know, I've gotten to the point that I can spend a little money and have a nice berth with got the, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, what what's the thing that you, balcony. the balcony out there and stuff. That's nice. Yes, you it know? is. But guess what? There's just a whole lot of water out there that you look at. I That's mean, correct. Come on. <laughs> it gets old. And I don't gamble that much. I don't gamble at all. I try to hold on to my money, not give it to somebody. I agree with you. They're, they're, that's only, you know, they've got some shows and stuff on those cruises. That those are all pretty right. good, yeah. Comedian stuff is pretty cool. Yeah. And, but other other than entertainment, uh, the you're laying around the pool bad. or, you know, and, and, and eating. And, I ain't much on laying around the pool anyway. I don't, you know. Sunburn, huh? Yeah. I'll go out and lay around the pool. There's always things to look at around the pool. Well, yeah. Some of them, yeah. <laughs> I not want to look at again. Yeah, but. <laughs> that's true, too. Absolutely, that's that's true. All right, we got about two, about two and a half minutes left. Let's talk about the car show. It's coming up on Saturday, May the 30th. See, Jerry, I know how to rein it in so I don't get in trouble. Saturday, May the 30th, will be the annual car show. 11th year for this. Had 168 cars last year. We hope to have a few more. 
I hope that somebody will bring one of the new vets out. You know what I'm hoping for, Dave? What? I put my feelers out for somebody to bring their electric tes- Tesla. A Tesla. Tesla. Yeah, we want a Tesla out there. Hey, I'll put you up front with me, and you, you know, because we're getting more and more questions every day at the shop about, about electric, electric cars. cars. You know, you know what about this and what about that's this? because and we're seeing. You it know, would be it would be good to have a uh, owner of one of those to give us his actual opinion of the vehicle. You want to come on the Dave Ellsworth show on a Wednesday? We'll bring you on. Yeah, I think that'd be fantastic. A Tesla owner to come on and give his actual opinion, what he thinks about his vehicle. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, I would too. Or if you bought a Mustang. I got a friend that's trying to buy Mm -hmm. it. He wants to order him one of the pickups that they come out with. They're butt ugly. Butt ugly. I and mean, they, seriously. And you, can, and you can throw a rock through the window. Yes, you they can. That on TV. You can break the window. You can break it. It won't go through. It's supposed, it. supposed to be bulletproof glass. Well, it ain't rock proof. I'll just tell you that much. <laughs> it's not shatterproof. <laughs> no. Yeah. It is, Either one of them. He tried not. both of them. Yeah. All right. So $20 donation to register your car. All the proceeds go to benefit the Ronald McDonald House Charities. Uh, Conway Expo Center. That's going to be on May the 30th, a Saturday. You can start registering your car at 7 a.m. till 10 a.m. 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. is the show. We'll give away uh, the best of show at that time, a $1,000 shopping spree to your local Crow Burlingame bumper-to-bumper auto parts store. And uh, we don't have, I don't believe, the website up yet, but when we get it no, up, sir. That's where you'll be able to go and register your car very quickly. And Dave, all of us shop owners are going to be there, and we will all Door have stuff prizes, to give away. Baby. You know, you know, I give away two fifty dollar bills last year. Joe give away stuff. Gary Henry give away stuff. We all give away stuff. We all have little trinkets and stuff Swag. on our table. You know that we'll give away. Plus, the vendors are going to give something away too. Yeah, yeah, they show up. Yeah, they give do. away. And all the guys from bumper to bumper, they do a fantastic job helping. And last but not least, two flat-screen TVs to be given away. There'll be a raffle for that. You can buy your tickets while you're there. Or, and we'll tell you about where these places are going to be a little later on during the year, uh, where you can go buy your tickets at a bumper-to-bumper certified service center. And, Dave, one yes. last thing. Yeah. Ronald McDonald will be there accepting donations like they did last year. Where oh, they have yeah. their, it don't cost you nothing to get well, in. Let's let's clarify that. The Ronald McDonald House people will be yes. there ronald mcdonald will, will not will not hey, be there <laughs> i have asked and they say it is so hard to get him to come there's only like three of them in the whole united states and it's like a five or six year wait to get him to come to one of your deals well you should you you've asked right so maybe uh 2026 20, two years three years in a row i've asked about it and uh you know, she said, hey, I, I'm I've, planning ahead. We're I've, trying. I've got it on the list, but she said it is just so hard to get them to come. All right. Thank you, Dave. But there will be plenty of cars to take your picture with. Yep, there'll be that. Uh, there'll be plenty of cars. Joe, thanks for coming in. Thank you, Dave. Always Thank pleasure. You. Duck, thanks for coming in. You learned a lot today, didn't you? Didn't think you would be able to do that. J.R. Davis be my first guest tomorrow. You don't want to miss that in the 6 o'clock hour. I'm going to go home here in about an hour and get a nap because I stayed up late watching the results of New Hampshire. Why, I don't know. I knew Bernie was going to win, but, man, Trump. You wanted to see how many votes he got. Man, 120,000 votes. Did you see him? He was at his rally the other day. Yeah. They only could hold 11,000. They was 40,000 outside. I know. They were everywhere. 
the, the, the amount of excitement to vote for that man for re-election is incredible. All right, I'll see you tomorrow, 6 a.m. Don't forget, Gallagher is coming up here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.